What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey guys, how we doing post-Thanksgiving? We still got our Thanksgiving guts going on? Um, I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm definitely still full of turkey to an extent, but, but doing well. How about you guys? I had a really nice uh, small family gathering. I had plenty of turkey, plenty of stuffing, mashed potatoes, and, and it was a good time. Definitely a good time. How about you, Lucas? Uh, I had me and my daughter had a nice day, and then uh, you know, uh, I made a I made a lot of mac and cheese. And let me tell you guys, I have some of the best Sussex County mac and cheese ever. And for those our Delaware listeners, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, well, well, what again, if you're not a what if you're not a Delaware listener? What, what's real well, quick? What, you, what I, makes I, it so special? Well, I can't. You know, I can't tell the rest. Of it. I can't give it away. Oh. Just know that it's a very, very, very teasy. <laughs> but maybe I'll tell you after the podcast, you're all right. But I can't give right. give family recipe out to everybody. All right. Uh, um, fair enough. But uh, you know, what did you? What have you guys been doing this weekend besides you know eating Thanksgiving leftovers? We we picked out our Christmas tree as a family this morning. Uh, we went to a place where we had to cut it down ourselves, which was pretty interesting. It wasn't the best tree. A lot of the good trees are gone already. People have been kind of like rushing out to get them because of COVID for some reason. But <laughs> I don't really understand the logic, but it's a good tree. and We had, we had fun. All of our uh, Christmas decorations are still in the attic. I'm still going to wait a couple more days. But speaking of trees, I, I did get a tree taken down. I, I was telling you guys yesterday I was really busy. And I have such a high regard for people that climb trees with chainsaws mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. just it took all day for this one guy this this guy named junior did a great job took down a tree next to my house and uh yeah that was pretty stressful <laughs> other than that um not ready for christmas yet still getting there yeah people who like dangle from high places just amaze me i shout out to them 
Yeah, my grandfather worked for the uh, electric, uh, the phone company for over like forty years. So yeah, no shout out to them for sure. But, um, I actually, before we got on the podcast, I already got my uh, my my fake tree up. I'm a fake treeer. I'm sorry. It's easier, and it's you know I don't have to pay it every year. You know, it's easier two, oh. three years in a row. Oh, good. Well, you know, that's, it's it's a way, way to go. It's, it's a, yeah, it's well, it's a white one and it has blue lights built into it, so it's pretty cool. Kind I of, love the uh, trees. The, the trees that have lights built in, I'm never going back, guys. You got, I, it's, I'm never going back to wrapping the 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 wire around the the tree with the lights. Never going back. Oh yeah, no, that's that's a pain for sure. Yeah, no, I think it's time for us to get into the Sixers podcast do it. here, guys. Because guess what, we got some stuff going on. The Sixers got some stuff going on. So Chris, go ahead, take it away for us. We have three new additions to the team, quote-unquote. Basically, Justin Anderson, Ryan Brokoff, and Derek Walton Jr. were all signed to non-guaranteed deals to compete in camp. Um, so we're just going to start off the podcast, Lucas, by, by talking about each of them, what they bring to the table. And at the end, we'll, go, we'll just say who we expect to get the 15th roster spot because Philly only has one more roster spot left to give. Uh, but Lucas, we'll start with Justin Anderson. He's someone most of us are familiar with already. Played in Philadelphia from 2017 to 2018. What does he bring to the table, and what do you expect from him um, in the preseason potentially? In terms of what he brings to the table, we already know he brings gritty defense. That's what he had when he was here in his first stint. Expect him to bring more or less the same. But uh, you know, there's he had a pretty good year in the G League. This past season, from what I've what I've seen, and he's improved his three point shooting a little bit out there. So if he can translate that to the NBA level, you know that it, even to an average three point shooting percentage, I think that would make him a, a mainstay on most rosters because of his defense already. So that I, that's what he brings to the table for for me anyway. Obviously, there's some sentimentality involved with Anderson because he was such a fan favorite when he was here. Uh, kind of the early stages of the Sixers' competitiveness. You know, he wasn't there when they, they did anything particularly special, but he, he was kind of there for the beginning of the Joel Embiid era. Uh, those two are good friends. I think that obviously is a, a factor here in, in why the Sixers went out and got him. And Anderson's contract is different from Brokoff and Walton's in that he mm-hmm. has a non-guaranteed second year on his deal and some partial guarantees already for this year. So the front office might be tipping their hand a bit as to who they, they hope to keep around. But uh, I do think Anderson's friendship with Embiid plays into this. And he, he does give them something that they kind of lack in the second unit, which is that big physical wing defender. They don't really have that with Glenn Robinson the third, pretty obviously not coming back. Um, Matisse is kind of on the smaller side. Yeah, like, like Matisse and Tyrese are, are very good defenders. Tyrese is 6'3", though. He's more like a point guard, shooting guard guy. Mm-hmm. Anderson can handle those bigger, more physical wings in a way that Matisse maybe can't on the ball. He's not going to do much more than that. He's not a very good offensive player. But as you said, he can hit the occasional three. And just bringing energy and uh, leadership in a way and just that kind of grit and competitiveness is something Philadelphia needs. And again, you part of the Sixers' success just rides on making Joel happy and making Joel enjoy himself. And if Anderson helps that in any way, I, I think it's a, a positive move. And you could definitely use the last roster spot on a worse player. So uh, oh, yeah. I, I'm excited to see if he does make it. And then Brokoff, who the Sixers sort of signed um, before the bubble last season. 
he never actually he played never... because his wife got COVID, but he was briefly on a two-way contract. Now he's back for training camp. Lucas, what does he bring to the table? Three-point shooting. He is when he was with Dallas, he was a you know he was a three-point shooter, and he's a very one-dimensional player. Uh, even in, in terms of his three-point shooting, he's just primarily a spot-up guy. He's he's not somebody that's going to take you off the dribble for a three-pointer. He's more of a corner three type of guy. Granted, he does it very proficiently, but outside of that, he doesn't really offer much. Uh, and defensively, he's a liability. I get the idea, and he's kind of like the guy to make Ben happy because he does have Australian roots. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's something to note there too, make Ben feel a little bit more comfortable. But like you said, he's on a non-guaranteed deal. He would be a player worse than Anderson to be completely honest, uh, to use that roster spot on that 15th roster spot, but he is he an NBA player. Yeah. He's a 15th roster spot guy, but I just don't know if he's the Sixers 15th roster spot guy. Yeah. I mean, Brokoff has came to Dallas. I believe it was in 2019, but he's been playing mm-hmm. professional ball for much longer. Mm-hmm. Like you said, he can, he can shoot the ball lights out, which is an NBA skill. And anyone who can do that normally has a spot somewhere, but, Again, the Sixers, honestly, we haven't really been able to say this for a while, but they, they have a good amount of shooting on the roster already ahead of them. Uh-huh. Like, Brokoff would be pretty clearly behind guys like Furkan and even Isaiah Joe, who I, I would rather give developmental minutes to for, uh-huh. as opposed to, like, playing Brokoff. So, like, if we're going to go back to Anderson, he at least brings a different skill set that the Sixers don't really have right now with that physicality and that strength and that grit. I'd probably want to keep that on the roster versus just adding another one-dimensional shooter, which they have enough of, I think, at this point. When you're building your team around Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, there are worse ways to use an extra roster spot. I wouldn't be mad if Brokoff ended up winning winning, you know, that spot. I do think this is a bit of an Elton Brand move, obviously, because mm-hmm. he was signed under the Elton Brand, uh, I don't know how you want to say it, front office originally, but he clearly has connections with the organization now, and it's not too surprising to see them bring him in. And then the third name on this list is Derek Walton Jr., played under Doc Rivers briefly in Los Angeles. Lucas, what does he bring to the table? Well, like you said, he has the connection to Doc, but I think primarily, and you can look at his, you know, I, I wrote about him when he when, uh, when he was signed, but basically he's a 6 foot guard, uh, high volume three-point shooter, high percentage three-point shooter in college, is a decent rebounder at six foot, uh, wasn't given it a chance, at least in college he was. Hasn't had too many playing opportunities, period, in the NBA, very limited minutes, limited game action. He's your 15th bench type of guy, but the Sixers do, don't really have another pure point guard at this point. Um, so I don't hate the move. I think it's a solid move. I think they're probably better 15th you know other point guards that you could probably have signed to a non-guaranteed contract than Derek Walton Jr. in overall skills but if you're trying to add three-point shooting he's not a terrible option either yeah I mean it's it's really hard to nitpick over like training camp deals and guys who are fighting for the last roster spot regardless of who gets it they aren't really going to be part of the rotation Walton has been bounced around a couple teams now, the G League, etc. And like you said, he can shoot. That's his main skill set. 
maybe a bit more versatile than, than Brokoff offensively. He's a natural point guard, can handle it a little bit. Um, but also, you know, he's undersized defensively, so there, there are trade-offs there. But as I said earlier, when it comes to Joe and Ben, there are worse ways to burn roster space um, than shooters and point guards. Um, the Sixers really don't have a true backup point guard, uh, quote-unquote, whatever you call a true point guard at this point. But I, I don't think Walton's someone you want in the rotation. He, he's just really not going to matter much. So, again... We're, we'll get to this. Who do we think gets the 15th roster spot? I'll cast my vote for Anderson, as I alluded to earlier. It seems my, like the Sixers have invested more in him already, and he's been around, and he's Joel's friend. I think that's all going to factor into it. And, again, he just brings something that the Sixers don't have yet. Yeah, I'm going to tend to agree. I think Anderson is that guy for right now. Depends, because they can bring up the 20 people, so they could have they could signed another player or two before training camp starts. But at this point, it looks like they're only going to bring in 18. And with mm-hmm. COVID, that's probably what they're going to end up doing. Though I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed if they brought in a stretch big. I think we both agree that they could use that as a depth chart. But overall, yeah. I think Anderson's probably the pro- base off, you know, like you said, they gave him partial guarantees. Now, will he be on the roster at the end of the season? Who knows? But to start the season... It seems like there's a good possibility he will be on the roster. Yeah, I think it like the Sixers have a trade exception from the Horford trade, and I think maybe even the Richardson trade, a smaller one. Like you said, they haven't used their mid-level exception yet. That's something Daryl Morey can use on one player or multiple players. Mm-hmm. You know, towards the buyout deadline later on in the season, mm-hmm. it's clear that this roster isn't done changing. I think Morey's just going to be patient and you know see what he has under Doc Rivers. That's kind of been his mo since he got here. So if it is Anderson, if it is broke off, if it is Walton, there's a very good chance that they aren't on the playoff roster. Like we said, Anderson has a second year on his contract. It's non guaranteed, but it, it is a second year and they didn't give that to broke off or Walton. So I, I think he's the, the favorite here. For sure. But we're going to go ahead and jump into, uh, we're going to switch gears and now jump into the preseason schedule. So, Chris, first game, home, preseason against who else but the Boston Celtics. And then the second one, of course, is against the Indiana Pacers uh, at, in Indiana. So, Chris, my question for you is for each game, starting with Boston, what are three things to watch for in these games? So, against Boston in particular, what are three things that you, you think of here? Yeah, I mean, we're only a, a couple weeks away from these games now. Boston is on the 15th. Um, like you said, it's really no surprise that they're having us play the Celtics. This is pretty much the exact team they faced in the playoffs. Uh, Gordon Hayward's out, as he was for the playoff series. So there should be a, a pretty solid familiarity on Philadelphia's end. That said, they do have two new players in Danny Green and Seth Curry, who they're going to be working into the rotation. I think just defensively, how those matchups work is going to be something to watch, because they are losing a bit of size and versatility with Curry, especially assuming he gets that spot in the starting lineup. Um, you know, they had Shake chase around Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker at times during that series. It really wasn't ideal. It's going to be the same with Seth. There's there's not a great matchup for him against Boston. Uh, Danny Green can kind of help. Obviously, having Ben Simmons back helps with regards to guarding Tatum, but I do think the defensive matchups is something I'm going to be watching. 
And then just like, how good does Joe look? You never want to read too far into preseason. It really doesn't matter in the long run, but a shortened offseason to a degree, all signs point to Joe being fairly motivated. That's been the narrative coming out of guys like Dwight Howard and, you know, the Sixers Twitter page, of course, but it, it does seem like there's a chip on Joe's shoulder. He didn't make the All-NBA team last year. Sixers just got swept. He's probably not going to come out, like, guns blazing in a preseason game, but seeing how well he moves, how engaged he is defensively, stuff like that is still worth watching, I think. And then, like, just generally speaking, how do the new guys look? You know, Seth, Danny, Dwight. How does how do those Dwight Howard Ben Simmons lineups look offensively? Because I still think that's a bit of a strange fit with, with two non spacers. So we'll we'll just see how it all looks. You bring up some good points, and I think defensively we'll definitely be interested to see how they match up against Boston. Because Boston, they don't have Gordon Hayward anymore. They don't, so they're not going to go super small. At least, you know, you wouldn't assume they would, but, you know, you've got a question who's going to start at power forward for the for the uh, Celtics now. Is it going to be Jason Tatum, or are they going to go a little bit bigger, bring in a guy like uh, uh, like Grant Williams or something like, somebody like that, you yeah. know, one of I those mean, younger guys? It's probably going to be the same lineup they used, you know, in the playoffs with Smart taking Hayward's spot and moving Tatum to the four. I, I, I think... I think they're just going to stick with that. But I do think, like, Tristan Thompson is definitely the most interesting addition for them from the Sixers' perspective in terms of who they can throw at at Embiid. But, yeah, no, I'll let you talk about that. (laughs) To be clear, Tristan Thompson's a good defender, but he is not going to stop Joel Embiid, especially one-on-one. No, that's not going to happen. He's probably not even going to stop Dwight Howard if Dwight Howard's feeling it, you know, if he's having a good night. So, I mean, Tristan Thompson's a good, versatile, you know, that can guard on the perimeter, but he's not an interior, you know, shot blocker. You know, he's not a super long. He's only 6'9". He's not super big or anything. Mm -hmm. So I don't expect him to make a huge impact on, you know, is he going to slow down and be? No, no, he's not. They just got somebody to actually grab rebounds for them. That's not you know, horrible defensively like Cantor was last year. Yeah. That that being said, it's going to be interesting. Like I said, I don't know who Tobias Harris is going to guard because you don't want him on Jalen Brown or, uh, you know, Tatum. So if we go with what you said about with uh, Marcus Smart, do you have him guard Marcus Smart? I don't think so. I mean, it's Boston, if they decide to keep Tatum at the four, it's going to be hard for the Sixers to match up properly. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think Philly's main advantage against Boston, it, it, it's always going to come down to Embiid because the Celtics mm-hmm. just don't have anyone at this point to to combat him. Uh, but like you said, they do have a lot of advantages on the perimeter. I think if it's probably going to be Curry on Kimba, Tobias mm-hmm. on Smart, I think you can get away with that. And then Danny Green on Jalen Brown and Ben on Tatum. I would guess well, you know, that's how it lines up, but mm-hmm. I guess yeah. you gotta you gotta make Marcus Smart beat you. Like that's that's the game that Doc Rivers is gonna have to play. Like if Marcus yeah. Smart beats us, so be it. But we're not gonna let the other guys beat us. Yeah, like Marcus Smart is a tremendous player, and I, mm-hmm. I respect him a ton. But he is mm-hmm. 
very much flawed offensively. If if Marcus Smart getting hot from three is how you lose a game, you know you'll accept it. Mm-hmm. Make it's not him shoot, happen. Make him take you off the dribble. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's by far the least threatening of their perimeter options. For sure. So, and then I guess the other thing for me, I'm really excited to see what Shake Milton's done this offseason. Shake Milton, uh, uh, you know, reserve backcourt of Milton and Tyrese Maxey, or, you know, swap out Milton for Curry, because I'm sure that will happen at some point. What the point guard, uh, you know, because I wrote about this uh, this past week, point guard, backup point guard by a committee. That's going to be a fun thing to watch, watching Curry, uh, you know, any combination of Curry, Maxey, and Milton take the backcourt when Simmons is out. I think that's going to be a lot of fun for Sixers fans. For sure. So, and then I guess with the Pacers, now the Pacers didn't make too many major offseason moves this year, did they? Not that I yeah, can remember. Nothing, nothing too big. So we're basically going to see the same team as last year, only with possibly healthy Jeremy Lamb. Is that, does that sound about right? And a healthier yeah. uh, Victor Oladipo. So pretty much the twin, the, the, you know, unlike Boston, we're going to see. Well, I'll let you get into it first before I, uh, I come in with that. So what are three takeaways are you looking for against that Pacers team? Yeah, I mean, like you said, this is an Indiana team that we're pretty familiar with. They, they of course, might not play Oladipo. Who knows? Just out of preservation. It's a preseason game. None of the starters are going to make it past the third quarter, as always. But, again, with Indiana, it's like they're better equipped to handle Joel and and throw different bodies at him. But, like, like neither Turner nor Sabonis are particularly well-equipped for that matchup. Turner's a great rim protector, but he's not very strong. So, again, it's like how, how often do they go to Joe and... I mean, just broadly speaking, I'm really interested to see how Embiid handles double teams with Green and mm-hmm. Curry on the floor and with more space around him. He, you know, slow reads on double teams have been his Achilles heels from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But part of what kind of exasperated those issues last season was, you know, the fact that there was no shooting, no quick decision makers around him. So it made it fairly easy for teams to just collapse the paint on Embiid and, and make him, you know, mess up. But with Curry and Green, you can't really double off of them effectively. It's just not a good idea. Tobias is a good shooter. Ben still makes it tough, but I, I think Joe's going to have a lot more space to work with. And I'm really interested to see how he uses it. Um, and then again, like defensively, who guards Oladipo? It's probably Danny Green, but then... It's just how the like Curry and Maxi and Milton and these smaller guards, how they are kind of covered for on defense is going to be a big storyline, I think. But yeah, those those are the main things. Again, this is a team we're familiar with, and it's the preseason. So my broader points are just how does the new team look together? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I think we got to make sure we do our TJ McConnell watch, of course. Um, of course. Of course. Uh, I think we're going to see a very... I think this Indiana team, if healthy, is a very deep team, so it's going to be a fun matchup because Jeremy Lamb, Lamb's a starter on most teams, and he was a starter when Old Depot was out before he got injured. 
TJ Warren came into his own during the bubble minus against Miami because Jimmy Butler had didn't want didn't want him to go off at all. So Jimmy got what he wanted there. But for the most part, TJ Warren, I'm going to be interested to see. I think we're going to see Ben on him. And I think we'll see Tobias on whichever big Joel's probably not defending, which is probably going to end up being my Miles Turner, which is fine mm-hmm. with me. Because uh, Sabonis is much more of a post present than than Turner is, and that's fine. Um, I think we're going to see a big game from uh, Tobias because I don't think Turner's going to be. I mean, Turner's a decent perimeter defender, but I think Toby's going to take advantage of that, especially if there's a lot of pick and rolls ran. Yeah, for sure. I I I mean, again, like Tobias, how he looks with this new setup is important too, because the mm-hmm. Sixers still have a ton invested in him. He's played under Doc before. It's clear that for the time being, like ownership in the front office want to see what he can do. Um, they probably couldn't find a train partner if they wanted to, but at this point, he's you know he's your number three wheel. So how he handles the new setup, how Doc Rivers uses him is going to be really interesting to use or to see. And yeah, I'm just generally excited to watch the Sixers with a competently built roster for, for a change. It's, it should mm-hmm. be fun. <laughs> for sure. All right. And then we're going to talk next about the leadership side of things in the locker room. Obviously, last season, accountability was a, a big issue, and the locker room maybe didn't gel as well as it needed to on a contender. Um, they're losing two pretty important voices, I think, in that department in both Al Horford and Josh Richardson. Josh mainly was extremely vocal towards the end of the season and the bubble really came on strong as, as a voice of accountability that was previously lacking in that locker room. It, it was obviously all for naught because the Sixers got swept out of the, the playoffs. But how do you think they're going to be able to replace that, Lucas? And I, I, I want to focus particularly on Danny Green and Dwight Howard, who both come from the Lakers, who just won a championship, two pretty seasoned vets who know how to win. Dwight has been talking ad nauseum about, you know, ego and giving up what's necessary for the betterment of the team. He said that's what he's going to try to, you know, bring to the Sixers locker room, see what guys are willing to to adjust and change and, and how selfless people are in their pursuit of the championship. How do you think they're going to help Lucas? And how do you see the leadership structure kind of playing out in in, in this reshaped locker room? When you play with LeBron James, and you know you can say what you will about LeBron James off the court, but on the court he is a dynamite leader. He he can bring people together, and he can get players to buy into their roles and make them excel in those roles. And uh, I think Dwight is a prime example of that because you know in years past, and you know obviously he's had some humbling experiences like with the Washington Wizards and Charlotte Hornets and. Atlanta Hawks, you know, he he was one and done there, basically. They didn't, you know, he his ego got in the way. And I think playing with LeBron James, humbling himself, I think for Howard, that's a big deal, especially for a guy who was, you know, glitzing glamour all in Orlando and, and in L.A. You know, I think he's had an experience. And I think, and he's, you know, he's still a goofy guy sometimes. You saw, if you watched Lakers game, you know, he would still be goofy. But I think at the end of the day, he he knew what his role was and he bought into it. And I think 
for that, that that's the perfect type of player for Doc Rivers to have in his locker room because that's what Doc Rivers wants from his players to buy into their roles because he will tell the players what their roles are in front of everybody else. So having a mentor like that for Joel Embiid, I think, is a big deal because Joel Embiid does. We we know Joel. He he's he's a superstar, and he he sees himself. He doesn't see himself as a center. He sees he sees himself as a guard sometimes. And you know, I think for having a guy like Dwight, having him buy into that big man role more, at least you know you know we don't expect you know Embiid not to be like trying to tempt threes or taking you know less at you know less defensively inclined big men off the dribble but you know just buying into that role consistently i think that's going to be big for Embiid. i think for green green comes from first he came from a great situation with the spurs i mean he was a journeyman before the spurs but he was a long tenured player under greg popovich talk about you know buying into your role he was coined three and d for a reason there the term was coined after him He's the epitome of, you know, do your job. And he did it with the Spurs. Then he went to the Raptors. Great culture there by Nick Nurse and Masai Ujiri. And then he comes to the Lakers. Doesn't have a super great season, but, you know, he's still pretty solid. And he was, he's that veteran guy. He's a glue guy. I don't think he's going to go calling people out or anything in the locker room. That doesn't really seem like his style, but he's going to come in. He's going to. He's going to say this, you know, he's going to show them this is how you do your job. He's a professional. He might not do it always by words, but I think he's a professional and that watch what I do. And, you know, this is how you do it. So I think though, I think in terms of doing your job, I think the six younger players are going to definitely benefit from that. Um, I think as long as they can get with Tobias Harris, who I think really was an off the court leader, I think. Tobias Harris is starting to become that on-the-court leader, too. I think those three are going to make a big difference for the Sixers this year in terms of leadership. Yeah, I, I definitely think Tobias is still, like, the main voice in that locker room, which is fine. I, I don't think it needs to be Joe and Ben. But like you said, I, I do think Green and Howard can maybe sort of fill that void left by J.J. Redick, who on his podcast said the Sixers made a mistake by not bringing him back because they just didn't have those veteran voices in the locker room to kind of show them, you know, the motions and, and how to win essentially. And like, like Danny Green has won two finals in a row. He's been around the Spurs, like you said, and won a championship there. He, he knows how to win. And Dwight Howard last year went through a pretty big reset personally. Like you said, ego had gotten the best of him at multiple stops and he was really at risk of just not playing basketball again if he didn't get his act together. And he got his act together. He bought into a role, as you said, and really adjusted his mindset to to help the Lakers win. And I, like, Joel doesn't necessarily need to change how he plays. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he's a very versatile talent. When it comes to the playoffs, just showing guys how to be more disciplined, showing guys to be selfless for the betterment of the team, I do think that's an area where Joe and Ben could maybe use some, some help. And I, I, I do think they're going to be very, very beneficial voices to have around. And just to take that a step further, Lucas, without Richardson, without Horford, do you think Ben and Joe are going to have to step up and be more vocal in the locker room? You know, do you think their current style is kind of introverted 
just like like how do you think their leadership is going to factor into this season? What do you think the Sixers need out of them? It's going to be interesting because, like you said, they're both not very vocal leaders. I think. Well, I think if we're going to get one being vocal, it's probably going to be Joel. But I don't know if Joel's the guy that needs to be the vocal one. With Ben having the ball in his hands so much, you know, he's going to be orchestrating the offense. He's going to be the one controlling the tempo of the game. So I think, if anything, he's going to need to be the one that really steps up in that leadership role. But that's really not who Ben is. You know, so that's going to be tough. I think if we're going to see one of them take a leadership, more of a leadership role, I think it's going to be Joel. But it's going to have to start with his, you know, off the court stuff when it comes to his conditioning and his eating habits. He has to show through example first before, because if, you know, you can say all you want, but if you're not, uh, you know, following, you know, keeping yourself accountable, nobody else is going to take what you're saying seriously. So if Joel can keep himself accountable, then I think, you know, what he says will carry a lot more weight with his with his teammates. Because I think, you know, I think it's fair to say that he's probably called out some of his teammates before, but, you know, at the same time, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. So I think if he can keep himself accountable, and I think that's where Dwight's going to come in and help him with that maturity there, um, keeping himself accountable. If Dwight can help him with that, I think that's going to be a big thing for Joel. But getting Ben to be a vocal leader is going to be pretty darn hard for this for for the Sixers to get out of him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I said, both Joe and Ben are are introverts. It's pretty well documented that they aren't very vocal in the locker room. They aren't, you know, outgoing. Let's organize a team meeting and talk about this kind of guys. That's really more Tobias's lane. And I think that's fine. I don't think your main stars necessarily have to be, you know, like the LeBron James kind mm-hmm. of vocal, like dominating the locker room, dominating the narrative around the team. I, I think that's fine. There, just other guys are going to have to step up and, and kind of show them how to win. And again, Danny Green and Dwight Howard can do that. I think they're going to help quite a bit. And with, I think Richardson, I think we might be maybe undervaluing his voice a bit in terms of what he brought uh-huh. to the locker room, that kind of grit and fire. The Sixers still really don't have that kind of personality. I mean, you could say maybe Justin Anderson might help if he sticks around, but uh-huh. you might need that out of someone who isn't your 15th guy. And I, I do think if the Sixers are going to look into making big midseason moves, getting someone who can maybe put in that kind of effort, you know, intensity, bring that intensity in the locker room and on the floor, what would maybe be a good direction to go? Mm-hmm. You just got to make sure that players on the same page as Doc Rivers, because I think what undid the Jimmy Butler era was that him and Brown were never on the same page. So, mm-hmm. and I think the Sixers don't want to have a repeat of that. So I think maybe that's why they haven't brought in a player like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I do think it's probably worth bringing up Doc like that. Like we can't really have this conversation without. Uh-huh. bringing up the coaching change. Obviously, a lot of this is going to fall on Doc to hold these guys uh-huh. accountable, to bring these types of emotions out in the, in the locker room, get guys fired up, hold people accountable, tell them what their role is. As we talked about when Doc first signed, that's like one thing he's known for is telling people their roles in front of the, the their teammates so they uh-huh. know what they're supposed to do on the floor and everyone else knows what they're supposed to do on the floor. 
That mm-hmm. clearly was not Brett Brown's style. So I, I do think Doc is he's where this all lands at some point. It all falls on the coaching staff and on Doc. So he's obviously going to play a big role. But uh, I do think the Sixers are in a much better place now than, than they were last season from a leadership perspective. For sure. But and, and so I think it's time for us to transition into the future of what's going to happen with, you know, Josh Richardson and Horford. So what do you think we can expect with Richardson and, and Dallas this year for fans that are still interested in following him? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of our, our kumbaya for the guys we're n- not going to talk about as much anymore. Uh, it, it It's going to be weird not like complaining about Al Horford every podcast. <laughs> it's going to be a big adjustment for us. But mm-hmm. with Richardson, I again, I really I like him as a player, as a person. I I I do don't think he got a fair shake necessarily in Philadelphia just because the fit wasn't great. He got hurt a lot. It it really was not his best year. I think he's going to look a lot better in Dallas next to a guy like Luca who can kind of remove some of those on-ball duties that Richardson was just not built for. Um, he's not a very quick decision maker. He's not a quick trigger three-point shooter, but he can space the floor, and he does a lot of good as kind of a slasher in a limited role. And with Dallas, they're going to have a lot of shooters around him. Luke is going to be kind of the maestro pulling all the strings. I think he's going to look a lot better there offensively. And defensively, Dallas really needed someone like Richardson who can bring that intensity and that fire defensively on the perimeter. Um, you know, he joins guys like Tim Hardaway and Dorian Finney-Smith who can defend at a fairly in a fairly versatile manner. So they got some new switchability with, with Josh, and mm-hmm. I think he's going to look a lot better there. I said this last podcast or the podcast before when we talked about the Seth trade. I think this is going to benefit both teams. I think it made a lot of sense for both teams. I think Curry's really going to be really going to shine and really going to be brought to another level in Philadelphia where his skill set is so useful. And I think Josh is going to kind of reclaim his status as one of the better kind of under-the-radar two-way wings in the NBA. For sure. I, I definitely see him starting. I think he's going to be at three. It's going to be interesting how Dallas uses him because I think that depends on which style they're going to start off the season in if they're going to have Porzingis at the four and Willie Colley Stein at the five they're going to primarily use him more I think they're going to kind of rely on his three-point shooting a little bit more in a mid-range shot but if Porzingis is starting at the five and you have Dorian Finney-Smith at the four that opens up the floor for uh, Richardson's slashing game so I think that's going to be I think depending on who starts Dorian Finney-Smith or Willie Cauley-Stein? Gosh, that's a mouthful. Um, I think that's going to be a big indicator of how well Richardson's going to be used. Because I think once they hit the playoffs or when they end games, they're going to have Porzingis at the five. But I think to begin the games, it's going to be interesting how how uh, who they have as that fifth starter along with Hardaway Jr., Doncic, and uh, Porzingis. Yeah, I definitely think their best lineup or like their their group that they're going to close with is probably going to be Porzingis, Finney-Smith, Hardaway, Richardson, and Doncic. Mm-hmm. I would think Dwight Powell or even Kleba would probably start before Colley Stein. I, I don't think Willie's going to start there, but I think, I, I uh, think they're I going think... to go. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, I think Dw- uh, Powell's coming off of a uh, 
ACL tear. Yeah. But, I mean, I think Powell and Kleba are both better players than Colley Stein. And Fair. They've been there longer. But mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see. Um, but I, I do think Porzingis is going to spend a lot of time at the five, as he did last season. And I think that's really where Dallas's offense can can shine the most when they have that Luca Porzingis pick and roll with shooters and scores around them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think Richardson's biggest contribution there is going to be defensively. Defense. That that's something mm-hmm. they really needed, and he he's I think a, a criminally underrated defender at this point. Even mm-hmm. like in the playoffs, he was so good in that Boston series. It got overshadowed by the fact that Philly just got their butts kicked the whole time. But Richardson is really a, like an all-defense caliber defender when he's on his game. And I, I think Dallas really needed that. He's their best defender, on, a perimeter defender on that roster now, easily. And For it's sure. not even close. Dorian Finney-Smith is probably their second best one, but he primarily defends fours. So that mm-hmm. should... That should put it into perspective of how much of an upgrade he is defensively for them. And he's going to be guarding basically their best perimeter defender every night. And that's what they're going to need. That's how they're going to use him primarily. And that's okay. Because that's what they need him for. But now, this is going to be the fun one. Chris, do you think Al Horford's going to be good in in, uh, OKC this year? Considering all the roster changes that they've had? I, I don't know if fun is the word I would use to describe Al Horford in OKC, but... <laughs> he might um, not have fun. I mostly, yeah, I mostly just kind of feel bad for him because <laughs> he's stuck in a, in a rebuild in kind of the twilight years of his career. I, I think he deserves better than that just because of all that he's accomplished. He still hasn't won a championship, and no team is going to be begging for that contract in the next year or two. So it, it, it stinks for him individually. I'm sure he'll look better. He'll probably be featured more prominently because OKC really doesn't have anyone else to feature other than Shea at this point. Uh, I mean, that whole roster is just a mess of trades and signings and draft picks at this point. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. still fairly confusing who's actually on that team right now. Uh, Like George Hill might start at point guard. They might trade him before the season starts because I'm sure a contender could use him. There's a lot of there are a lot of variables there that he can't control, but like he's still a fine center. He's going to start in his natural position. He's going to be able to do more as kind of that playmaker from the elbow as he did in Boston that he never really could do in Philly because of how the roster's constructed. I'm sure he'll look better. I don't know how good he'll look. I don't think he's going to make the all-star team or anything, mainly because OKC won't win many games, but... Yeah, it's mostly just kind of sad that he's in OKC, but it, it's it was a great trade for the Sixers, and we'll see what happens. That he li- could literally be playing with uh, George Hill, Gilgis Alexander, Lou Dort. Oh gosh, what's the other? Uh, Darius Basil, and yeah, yeah, you, you, oh, gosh. And they could even go younger if they decide to take Hill out and put in uh, the Hidal. Uh, can you pronounce his name for me? Because I can't. I will butcher it every single time. It is um, Hamadou Diallo. Yes, yes. They could go with him at the shooting guard position versus. Yeah, uh, yeah they could. They could. Yeah, they. 
he could literally be the only non like second or third year player in that starting five. Mm-hmm. Um, I expect him to have probably close to what we saw in Boston in terms of stats. Obviously, athletically, he's going to be a little slowed down. Um, he's not going to have to compete for minutes, though. I'll say that because honestly, mm-hmm. I don't think they have who who they got. Who who do they have as their backup <laughs> center? Muscala. Did they draft a rookie this year? Because I honestly don't know. Uh, I, I don't think they got. I don't a... think they drafted a center. They have. Hold a... up. They drafted Pokushevsky, but he's not going to be in the NBA this season. No, he's not. God, could you imagine a, a front court with him and Horford? That would be your dream ideal, right? Right, Chris? Him and a Horford having a front court together? <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's my brand. <laughs> that's your brand. Uh, but no, I think he's going to have probably average like 14, 6, and 5 assists to shooting. Shooting's going to probably be better because the floor is going to be spaced out for him again. Like you said, he's going to be working from the elbow most likely. You know, assuming this rookie head coach that he has. Yes, he's going to deal with the rookie head coach in his, what, 15th season? Poor buddy, man. He He's just, he's he's out of luck there. Yeah, I, I feel like the general tendency in Philadelphia is to be kind of mean and dismissive towards Al. Obviously, last season was pretty brutal, but I don't hold any of that really against him. He's a good dude, and he he was a, a very entertaining player before before last season. Hopefully, he gets back to that because I've always quite enjoyed watching him. I, I mean, him and Shea could do some pretty cool things together. They don't have the talent around them to like compete for a playoff spot or anything, but he's Thank- not the worst player person or the worst vet to put next to your like young star guard who you're still developing like he can make other players better he's probably going to make Shea better so I I do think it's a good fit from for OKC from that perspective but yeah it's just kind of not the best way for him to go out (laughs) yeah for sure but you know what he might make the OKC Oklahoma City Thunder be a fun league pass team who knows but yeah. you know, we you know what he could end up you know having a pretty good year, and you know Oklahoma could flip him for you know future draft picks. Who knows? Yeah, I mean we'll, we'll see. It it could we'll see what happens. Definitely. I do think that's the ideal for him is to rehab his trade value to a point where, mm-hmm. like a lesser version of Chris Paul, where teams actually want him by the end of the season. I, I think mm-hmm. that's probably his goal. For sure. Um, but I think it's time for Uriah to come in with a question of the week. So, guys, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, and I know Thanksgiving was a few days ago, I just want to um, give a shout out to a lot of supporters of this podcast and to the website itself. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, because of everything that's been going on, I just felt a little more appreciation for, you know, people who mean so much to us in our lives, especially sitting around at the Thanksgiving dinner table. So I just want to give a shout out to um, all the groups on Twitter and on Facebook that chime in to our question of the week. So all the Facebook groups and administrators for Sixers 24-7, Social Sixers, the Sixers group, uh, Sixers Nation, 76ers for Life, Trust the Process 2.0. We thank you guys for jumping in on the question because it produces a lot of community 
and interest in our favorite team, which is the 76ers. And also, before I get to the question of the week, thanks for all the people who've come on this podcast, all the contributors of the website, from the Philadelphia Enquirer, Keith Pompey, a friend to the to the pod, uh, Spike Eskin writes to Ricky Sanchez, uh, Rich Hoffman, Derek Bodner from the Sixers Beat, and of course, Noah Levick from NBC Sports Philadelphia. So I just thought, guys, let's just give these guys um, a applause, round of applause, some hand claps. Yeah, there you go. Don't forget about Daryl Reynolds, too. Daryl Reynolds, yeah, former Villanova player. All right, so this week, guys, there was a lot of buzz with this week's question. And if you didn't catch it, it's on Facebook and obviously on Twitter. The question of the week was, who has the most to prove this season for the Sixers? And the list goes as the coach. We have Doc Rivers. We have Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Tobias Harris. So out of the thousands of responses spread across Facebook and Twitter, I'll start with Twitter. And you guys might get a chuckle out of this. Run it back Philly at I am DJ Eastwood. I guess most humorous response on Twitter. He said to Brickus Harris. So, I mean. <laughs> Hold up. Is that a playoff off of the key and peel uh, football sketch? It could be. I didn't see that one. But when I saw this, it, it made me crack up and it got the most likes on Twitter. So to Brickus Harris, sorry, Tobias, you have a lot of pressure on you, according to DJ Eastwood. And if I go to Facebook, uh, get comfortable, guys, because Chris and Christopher and Kroom, he wrote basically a few paragraphs. But he put he said Embiid. But here's what he said about all the other players that have the most pressure. He said everyone is already on Ben, and the consensus is we know his floor. He needs to shoot to improve. Doc is a great coach, and if he can't get it done at Philly, it won't be on him. Toby is highly overpaid, but many seem to believe that he is overpaid already. So the expectation from him is to be uh, a league average three point shooter. If he does that, he won't get roasted too badly. But he said it goes back to Embiid. He has questions of health, consistency, and seriousness, seriousness, maturity, and hunger. He has much to prove. So according to Christopher N. Kroom on Facebook, thank you for chiming in. He says Embiid. So what do you guys think? Who do you think has the most to prove this season? Chris? I, I, it's tough. I mean, obviously the top out is that. Everyone has something to prove, but in terms of who has the most to prove, I feel like we kind of know what we have with Doc. He's a great coach. He's not a perfect coach, but he's a great coach. And if this team can't get to where it needs to go, I I don't think it's going to be his fault. With Joe and Ben, like obviously their flaws are very well known. Ben needs to shoot more. Joe needs to be in better shape, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But like the one guy here who hasn't lived up to his contract and his role yet is Tobias, I think. I think that's where I'll cast my vote, just because he's being paid more than any other player on the roster. That's not his fault, but the Sixers invested a lot in him in terms of trade assets and in terms of just financial cap space, and he really hasn't figured out his rhythm offensively with this team. I think it'll be better this year with Doc, someone he's familiar with at coach, and with more space to operate. I'm assuming more pick and rolls where he has been very successful in the past. I think he's going to get better, but 
I think Tobias really needs to prove himself as the number three wheel on a supposed championship contender. So I think that's where I'll cast my vote. So two things. One, uh, you're right. I don't know. I don't think you were with us at the time, but Christopher M. N. Chrome is actually a former contributor of ours. Really? Um, yeah. Wow. Cool. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Very so cool. he follows us on Facebook. Um, the other thing. Uh, so I'm actually going to take uh, Chris's uh, lead on this because I totally agree. I think it is a Joel Embiid, but I, I think it's it goes deeper than the conditioning. I think it goes to leadership and self-accountability we know in joel Embiid when he's fo- dialed in focused healthy he averaged 27 and 12 uh two seasons ago he can be an mvp level player when dialed in but that comes with maturity and that comes with leadership and i think he has the support in place this season with a you know one of the better coaches in the league with doc rivers a humbled future Hall of Famer in Dwight Howard. This is the season that we need to see Joel Embiid become that mature, take self-accountability to a whole new level, and take that leadership role. And we talked about earlier in the podcast. And yeah, Tobias Harris is the easy choice because he's getting overpaid. But we all knew he was getting overpaid, and granted, he needed to play better like he did with the Clippers, but... You know, even with that, he there's no guarantee he was going to make an all-star team in the East because the forward position in the East is still pretty, pretty good. Pretty, you know, it's not it's not like a thin position at the all-star position. You know, uh, you know, if he was a point guard, maybe you know you could get away with it. But at the forward, no, he he's probably not mm-hmm. going to make an all-star team. So he's not going to ever become worthy of that contract. And even at his peak play with the Clippers, so. That being said, it's probably going to end up having to be Joel, and I, it has to be because of the leadership. It's not anything on the court. If the leadership and maturity comes and the self-discipline comes, that MVP level of Embiid, that's what we're going to see under Doc Rivers. Yeah, I will, I'll, I'll give you that with the maturity piece of Embiid. But the one thing that I, I will give Embiid credit for he stepped up in the playoffs. If you look at his numbers, he averaged 30 points and I think over 10 rebounds. And he was their only factor on the floor against Boston. Now, given they were swept, but he stepped up in the playoffs. He did the best that he could. Tobias, I can't, I think I agree with you, Lucas. It's the, he's the easy choice. And a lot of, surprisingly, to my surprise, a lot of people on social media, they were giving him the business. They were coming down hard on Tobias because of the quote-unquote contract. Well, get used to it, people. He was, if you look at what he came into, he was not going to be the first or second option. Okay. He was going to be the third wheel. It's blame the market. If that's what the market put out there for players to to get, you know, max money, then it's the market. It's not him. He has a good agent, which was his father. And yet Elton Brand, who had to justify the assets that Chris mentioned earlier, being traded away. So you know me, guys. I'm not singing a different song tonight. <laughs> I'm putting it on Ben because mm-hmm. not just not just me, but some big names out there, Stephen A. Smith. Everyone says if Ben Simmons commits to a jump shot, not a three-pointer, Chris, I know what you're saying. He, he doesn't need to have a three-pointer shot, but just a mid-range game. I think it's all on him because if 
Embiid does what he typically does every year, and Tobias gives you what he gives you, and Doc delivers as a Hall of Fame future coach. If Ben if Ben steps up, the sky's the limit for this team. So I, I think it's the pressure's on Ben. Yeah, I I don't know. I would have to disagree with that just because I don't know if there's a worse use of Philly's offensive real estate than Ben like pulling up mid-range jumpers all the time. I just don't think that's a very good shot. I think if he's going to make an impact with his jumper, it's got to be spacing it to the three-point line. I think floor spacing is the big issue there. I don't think it's like points per game. I think it's just giving Embiid more room to work in the paint, and I think the only way he does that is by consistently like hitting those corner threes. I think that's really where it has to come from with Ben. But wait, like, but, but Chris, oh, let, me, okay, let, me, okay. let me, let me, let me, I have to jump in here because if you look at every team that burned us in the past two years, okay, point guards with pick and roll, point guards run around, right? They run around the screen and they pulled up. And these are point guards that are 6'1, 6'2, 6'3. So imagine if Ben Simmons committed to and had the guts to pull up and shoot a 15 footer and become consistent at it he would become a tremendous threat. Now, I'm not disagreeing that yeah. he can't be effective at the three-point line. I'll give you – I can't disagree with that. But I think if he just attempts more jump shots, 15 to 20 feet, it, it would benefit the team as a whole. Yeah. but I mean, I, can, I, can I cut in real quick? You guys are both yes. ignoring Ben's biggest strengths, which I, which I think we're going to see a lot more of this year, is that him being the roller in the pick and roll, not the, not the ball handler – I think he his biggest strength that needs to be exploited this year has to be as the role man. Because when he's the role man, he's one of the most athletic guys in the league. He can finish either with a dunk or with a layup or with a half hook. You know, he has the tools to be an elite role man. And now we have the guard play with Curry. Curry can run the pick and roll. Shake Milton can well, granted, Milton's more of an attack guy on the pick and roll. But um, Tyrese Maxey can hit players off the pick and roll. You know, they add another point guard down the line at some point this season. You know, a viable pick and roll point guard that can, you know, that's a threat from, you know, deep. Ben needs to be the pick and roll guy. You guys talk about the mid-range shot. And, yeah, that's true. And, you know, I, I was with you for a long time, Uriah, in the past, like in past seasons. Yeah, if he's willing to take those 15-footers, that's great. But like Chris said, you really want Ben taking four or five mid-rangers a game where you could be getting much more efficient shots elsewhere? Like, no, yeah. you need to have him as the role guy. Yeah, I think where Ben has to grow the most and where he can benefit the offense the most is improving what he does without the ball. I think what he does with the ball is fine as is. I think he's already pretty tremendous there. But mm-hmm. finding ways to contribute in the half court when he's not touching the ball whether it's spacing mm-hmm. out to the three-point line or just cutting harder, setting good screens and rolling, as you said, Lucas. I, I think that's really where his next big step is going to come from. And I, I kind of want to just go back to Tobias because my choice has been written off now. Is it the easy choice? It, it, it's more than just like... <laughs> I understand. Sorry, Chris. He's never going to live up to the contract. It's more Luca, Lucas him. said that, by the way. Not me. I, I did. Yeah. I'm not taking Well, you back. said it, too. You doubled down. I was just following Lucas's lead. I mean... Oh, right. yeah. Blame it, it all on me. Okay. okay. It's it's more than the fact that he's not worth $180 million or that he's not making the all-star team. 
But, like, the dude shot 13% from three in the playoffs. He was really awful in that Boston series when they really needed him to step up without Ben. He was not, like, even worth $15 in that series. It's like... To his defense, though, Chris, to his defense, Jason Tatum is a... Jason Tatum is a really good defender, and Jalen Brown will probably make an all-defensive team at some point. If Actually, he's they both be the number three player on this team. He's got to be better. I don't care if he's being defended by Kawhi. Like, you got to <laughs> stick your game up, man. Like, it's not about him I, living I, up to the contract or him making the All Star team. It's about him like looking the part of a real, consistent, reliable third option, especially in the playoffs. Like, we've gotten pretty good production from Tobias in the regular season, but he's been pretty unremarkable in two consecutive playoff races, runs, whatever. He's just got to step up when the games really start to count. And I I think with Joel, his numbers were down last year. Yes, maybe he did get a little discouraged by the roster not fitting quite as well around him. But, like, his numbers went down in part because the roster just did not complement his skill set, and it made life ten times harder on him. That's more on the front office and I think it is on Joel. Like you said, Lucas, he stepped up big time. Or Uriah, he stepped up big time in the playoffs. Ben, if had he been there in the playoffs, I think would have helped Philly quite a bit. I think Tobias is the guy who really has to step up if they're going to make the kind of run they want to make. Because um, if he's the third option on this team, he hasn't, he hasn't proven that he can be like the third option on a championship contender yet. And right now, that's how Philly's built. So I, I think it... I think Tobias has a lot more to prove than those guys. Well, we have less than a month, guys. I, I'm excited. I can't wait. I can't wait. I, I was I was getting jittery while you guys were talking about the preseason games. I, I'm excited. Do you want to add anything Me about too. those preseason games? No, because they're preseason games. <laughs> well, okay, I'm all good. Right. I, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. Just, okay, you're right. Just tell us one thing that you're you're looking forward to because you don't get to talk that much on here. And I'm curious, what are you? The one thing for? I'm looking forward to, and and thank you, Lucas, for hoping for me to chime in and and give my opinion. I would say that I was one of the biggest opponents of Doc Rivers, and and I wrote about it. I'm not gonna, you know, all of a sudden flip flop. And the reason why is because I, I thought Jason Kidd would have been a nice coach that could get Ben to the next level. And, and he has great experience, but we have who we have, and that's Doc. He is, I think he's a good human being. He's a, he's a good coach. And I, I'm really excited to see what he does with the current pieces. I'm excited okay. for Daryl Morey. And I, I really like Curry. I think Curry changes a lot. He changes a lot in terms of chemistry and, and what the team can do offensively. And I, I think I think this team is going to make more noise than people will give them credit for. Is it is it terrible okay. of me to believe that there's a chance that Curry could end up averaging like 19, 20 points a game? Is that like impossible? Because I mean, no. look at his pedigree. Is is that like is that like an unrealistic fan expectation of mine, or is that like a legit possibility under you know with playing with Ben and Joel and you know having a coach like Doc Rivers knowing how to use lethal yeah. three point shooting? Is that unrealistic, or is that like me actually being a, giving a fair analysis? I mean, I don't think he's going to average 19 a game. But, I mean, you look at Reddick. He set his career high like two years in a row with Philly. And he was in his 30s. 
Yeah, so Curry isn't Redick, but this is going to be by far the biggest role he's ever had. Joe and Ben are going to create a lot of easy looks for him, and they're vice versa. The Sixers are going to lean on Curry's shooting to create good looks for Ben and Joe. So I think he's going to take more shots than he ever has. And I don't think it's impossible for him to put up that kind of season. I wouldn't count on it. I don't, you know, I don't think we should set the bar too high, but it's not impossible. I think the hierarchy, if you look at the touches that Embiid has to get, uh, Simmons is going to get his shots and Tobias, I mean, his contract has to be justified. So he's, he has to average 20 and he will average 20. So with all the touches, you know, to go around, I would think, I think Lucas, I could Probably see more like get, 15. Yeah, I would say 15, 16 top. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's mostly off three pointers, which is what they want him to do. Mm-hmm. I, that's where I would go with, with him. It's not impossible. Like Chris has said, maybe yeah. Tobias has a down year or he gets injured. Hopefully he doesn't, but. But yeah, I think it's unlikely. So yeah, let me and... ask you guys a question. Would you be surprised if Ben ups his scoring, or do we expect him to get about 16, 8, and 8 again this season? Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised in that. I think the offense might just flow better generally under Doc with new pieces. But I think Ben's skill set is kind of tailored to that 16, 17 points a game range. I really just think like his bread and butter lies outside of scoring. So if I would expect Tobias's in like Seth's and Danny Green's numbers to jump up a little bit before I would expect Ben to like average 22 a game or something, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with Chris 100%. I think Simmons is a pass first point guard. Scoring is not his thing. He recognizes it and, and, yeah, it's just so many touches that go around. And, and don't forget about all the other guys coming off the bench. You have Shake, who's a scorer. I think Matisse. I think Matisse is going to be looking for his shot more this year. I think he's going to feel a lot of pressure from all these rookies coming in who are not. being touted. And, well, oh, stop it. He, he's going to get a shot, Chris. He may not, he may not shoot over 40%, but I, I think Matisse is going to average more than he did last year. And I think he's going to make even more noise on defense. I, more I'd than say four point seven. Here's what I'll say: he'll he might average four point seven steals a game per thirty six, of course. <laughs> but I, I I think to I think um, not to I think Matisse is going to have a really great year defensively, and he's going to yeah. boost his scoring. This second unit is going to be scary defensively. To be yeah. honest. Oh yeah. You look at Max Dwight. I don't know what? if scary is the right term. That might be taking it a, a step too far. But They'll pretty be good defensively. Than last seasons. Well, yeah, you got, you got Matisse. You got Dwight. You have Matisse. You have who? Uh, Ty, Maxie's supposed to be a good defender. Um, yeah. Depending on if you have Korkmaz or Scott as your fifth reserve guy will impact the defense tremendously, obviously. But, mm-hmm. you know, if, if it's Scott, then they're going to be – like an uh, above average defensive unit. Yeah. I mean, the way so. I look at it, I, I think they're going to be better. I think Dwight can hold the fort down for 15 minutes a game when Joe sits. But like Howard did get played off the floor in certain matchups in the playoffs for LA. He's, he's not prime Dwight Howard defensively at this point. And like Maxi should be good, but he's still a rookie. Um, Matisse, 
I'm really excited to see what Matisse does too. I think he's going to be tremendous, and I do expect him to get even better. But like, Shake's still not a very good defender. Like, I, I don't know if scary would be the term I would use, but I, I do think they're going to be better than they were last year. For sure, but I think I think we're getting we this last like couple minutes we definitely got off topic here, but that's okay. But I think it's time for us to I think Chris, it's time for you to play us out. Yeah, so thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the Sixer Sense podcast. You can follow the site on Twitter at Sixer Sense. As always, we really do appreciate it. I hope everyone has listened, had a great Thanksgiving. As Uriah said earlier, we are very thankful for all of you for giving us the time of week and for following the site, reading our content, chiming in on Twitter, all that. It really does bring a smile to our faces. And with the holiday season coming up, I really do hope that everyone also, you know, if you are celebrating the holidays, you know, has a great holiday season. We'll talk to you all again next week. And go Sixers. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.